Phoenix Overlook Pop Culture. And we are live for episode 83. Um, I kind of tilt the, this monitor a little bit, so in case we have to look at something. Um, I, why did I touch that? Um, there we go. Um, uh, right now, he right now my co-host gets to uh, gloat and, and put it in my face at the moment because um, he's upgraded his phone. Yes, that thing right there. Um, a- a- after after looking at the specs of that phone, uh, that that thing has more storage than I've ever had in a phone. <laughs> so, um, I think the most internal storage I've had is thirty two gigabytes. So, a- after having problems with this last phone, um, and getting this new one, he. Oh man, I'm now debating whether I should get that instead of a Note Three um, or a Note Four. But um, personally, from the last few days of experience of using it, I would just because. Okay, uh, for the the Note Three, if you buy it unlocked, which is how I'm, I'm from now on, I'm always going to buy my phones that way. Because like when I signed up for my plan with AT and T, I get like fifteen dollars off right off the bat. And I also get a little discount from for working where I am. I'm at, but um, that I pay for the phone right out of the bat. I, I pay it off. I've got this plan with the site that I buy it off of. They'll let me pay it off over so long a time. But I mean, I'll be able to pay it for the next paycheck. So um, I, I bought the phone because of the specs and the the bang for the buck that it has. This phone, like like I was telling you earlier, Thomas, it swings above its weight class. It's absolutely ridiculous. This thing has an Intel quad-core atom processor that runs at 2.3 gigahertz. Um, and my previous phone had a 2.2 gigahertz Qualcomm, but it makes that thing look like a, a, a oh, I can't think of an appropriate word right now. Um, it, it makes it look close. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's got it's got that it's got four gigs of RAM. There's no phone on the market right now that has four gigs of RAM other than this phone that I'm aware of. If somebody corrects me, go ahead. By all means, let me know because I would like to know. <laughs> but as far as I know right now, that is the only one that you can get with four gigs of RAM. There's another version of this phone as well that has a slightly downclocked version of the Intel Core processor. It's the same processor, actually, no, it's a slightly different model. This one is the Intel Atom 3580. The other one, I think, is the 3540. Right. I don't remember exactly. Um, but this also has 64 gigs of internal storage. It, ha- it has a, supports a micro SD card up to 64 gigs of extra storage. So with the phone, the total amount of storage that you can get is up to 128 gigabytes. Uh, I have 96 between the internal storage and the, the SD card. And one thing I didn't know, which I mentioned this to Thomas earlier, when I bought the phone, I was not aware that it had. It came with a uh, Google Drive offer. You can get 100 gigabytes of Google Drive storage free for two years. And I found that out just by setting up the phone. She's so like, oh, well, of course I'm going to redeem this offer. <laughs> it's 10 bucks a month normally. Yeah, and it's, um, their, their pricing is not too bad for – if you're like, oh, I don't, 
I just want the extra drive space, but I don't have the money for a new tech device. But yeah. I, it, this thing's running Lollipop too. So, and you're you're not getting like Google's stock Android overlay, are you? No, I mean for the most part, it is pretty much stock Android. It's very similar to the previous one that I had, except it'll te- I'm pretty sure Sony puts out updates a lot uh, less frequently than Asus will. Asus is pretty good about putting out updates for Android devices. My fiance has had, uh, or used to have an Android tablet that we gave to her father a long time ago that it would get updates fairly quickly. Um, now, since it's running 5.0, it's running Lollipop, I don't have to worry about an update for a while unless Asus feels that some of the fixes that Google's put into 5.1 are really worth it. Um, other than that, it's pretty much the same. It's mostly under the hood fixes and performance fixes and minor security fixes. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, one of the reasons that all I, I'm all for getting unlocked devices too is um, a lot of people may go and go with uh, vir- mobile virtual network operator like Straight Talk or something along those lines, and they buy their branded phones. Well, the problem is that at least with Straight Talk, you will not get the updated firmware because they don't support that for whatever reason. So the only way to get an update on it is if you root your phone and put custom firmware on it, (laughs) which um, I have not owned the thing for a year. I've rooted the thing. Which you know, goodbye my warranty, but oh well. Um, and Talroot is turned out to be the best way to do that. It's third-party APK that you download, you install it, um, allowing you know other sources, and then you run it once. And then once your phone is rooted, you just uninstall the app because you don't need it from there. And and of course it course security warnings pop up and all of that but well that's the whole point is you're jailbreaking the thing um (laughs) but i I went ahead and rooted it in case i needed to do something that requires root on it anyway so i haven't been brave enough to try synogen mod on it though or anything like that because like it's supposed to be going off of AT&T's network, but apparently the baseband on it is like really, really weird. And if you put the wrong ROM on it, uh, goodbye any sort of access to anything remotely cell phone related. <laughs> um, so I'm like, eh, better not. <laughs> so... But yours, your your back your back camera, your main camera has the same megapixels that my last device did, which is impressive, and the graphics are even impressive too. Because because yours has the PowerVR G sixty four thirty, and they've they've been in other devices too. Yeah, this one was actually fairly impressive. I benchmarked it. I benchmarked it today, and I benchmarked it the other day using Antutu. Uh, the Antutu benchmark is pretty, 
uh, fairly popular one. And then I also used uh, 3D Mark as well, which focuses a little more on the 3D rendering than uh, Antutu does. Antutu is more of an overall system benchmark. It tests your single-threaded performance, your processor, multi-threaded performance, uh, floating point, uh, multi-threaded and single-threaded, as well as integer. Um, it also tests multitasking capability, which this phone will benefit from the amount of RAM that it has. Uh, but that's not all that goes into multitasking. It's also the ability for the processor to perform a context switch as quickly as it can. Um, for those of you don't, that don't know what a context switch is, I will try to be as simple as I can. Basically, it's like telling the processor, saying, hey, I'm moving from one one program to another. So like the, the flow of instructions that are being sent to the processor, they get cut off and say, okay, save the state of this program. Like when you minimize a program, you have like Google Chrome open and you're browsing Wikipedia and you have that, like what looks like right there. You click minimize and then it goes away. You don't see it. And you switch to another application. That's the context switch. And basically what it's doing is it's saving the state of that process or the, what it looks like, how it's performing and stuff like that. And the, the information that needs to be saved gets saved. And then the other process gets run. So then, like, nothing's actually happening through the processor. It gets put into the background. A lot of that gets handled by the operating system. And Android's pretty good about the way it handles that, especially with the newest, newer updates, especially in 5.0. It's really cool how it happens. So, so basically, it's how well the thing multitasks and can keep everything in a good state in case, you know, you need to go on, you need to go check your bank account, eh, but you're currently running Facebook, but you switch to your web browser or banking app, if that's applicable and all of that good stuff. Well, in the um, app switcher in uh, Android 5.0, if you guys are not familiar with it, it comes up like this. So you have to do is scroll down. The previous versions uh, on my um, Sony phone, it was kind of annoying to be able to do this. But uh, you scroll down, and then you can, like, there's an X over here. You can tap on that. Asus has included something in theirs. Um, down here, it's got the little four buttons right there where my pinky or index finger is. I can tap that and close every single window. Um, but I can sit here, you filter the fl- sift through them, and then, okay, I want to open up Amazon Kindle. There we go. It was pretty much like that. Uh, I, I want to go to a different one. I want to... Uh, Open up a flashlight. There we go. Oh, there we go. I'm not in conjunction with the camera here. <laughs> but, um, and how big is your screen again? Because it's, or how big it's is the, it's a what? It's a 5.5 inch touchscreen, 1080p. So is it, so is it quite as big as your last phone or not? It's better than it's smaller. <laughs> Thank God. Um, I did like the screen size for my old phone, and I'll probably keep it around just to play with it, mess around with it or something. But the, it's it's clunky. It's big. Um, it looks a little funky when you're talking on the phone, and I can't really talk on the phone on it anymore. This one, at least it feels like a normal phone. I mean, it's the same screen size as, like, the G3. The G4 is very similar to the Note 3, 2, 3, and 4. It's, the Notes are a little bit bigger than this. Um, but this is just about 
the maximum size that you can really do where you're, you are able to wield it with one hand. So this is, this is about perfect. This is what I want. It's kind of like it's borderline to phablet territory. And then the, I guess the only thing that could come closer, any closer than that would be the screen size of the galaxies, the galaxy S5 and S6. The S5 has a 5.0 test screen. The S6 has increased that only slightly to a 5.1. And, and the S6, I'm likely to skip over because I, I like the idea of expanding my storage, not being stuck with what I've got. And yours, you can expand for sure. Oh, yeah. I can take this one all the way up to 64 gigs. A lot of phones now can support up to 128 uh, gig solid-state solid um, flash drive. Uh, and the, one of the unique features about this phone, I just ripped off the bag, is right here you can see my SIM card. Right there is another SIM card slot. I think we mentioned it earlier. I don't remember. But there's the SD card slot. That's the volume button camera, dual LED flash. The battery sitting behind there, which I think is non-removable without deconstructing the phone. I mean, you can pull it out. It's just the problem is you have to take off this whole back plate here, which is we got screws all the way around and then some screws up here. So to take the battery out, it would be a bit of work. But you can do it. Um, and... And the S6, you can't take the battery out. It's nope. kind of... It's a solid unibody. Samsung did that for a design choice, which makes it aesthetically very, very pleasing. I honestly wouldn't mind having a Galaxy S6. The thing that turns me off immediately is the fact that uh, you there's nothing you can do with it. It's a solid unibody. It's just like an iPhone. You know, so, an iPhone's in my opinion. Um, so if so, if the battery on the thing goes out, uh, you have to send the whole phone in and get it replaced. Yep. And in the case of this phone, I don't really have to do that as far as I know. I mean, I haven't looked it up. But it looks like I can just t- take that back off. It's just a lot more work. But I can do it. Fair enough. And... And that, and this thing's LTE capable. Um, and since it's dual SIM, um, for for the for those for those who may not be in the know, uh, why would they want a dual SIM? Well, uh, if you're a person that has like you do a lot of business trips or say you have a lot of relatives that live out in the middle of nowhere in the sticks where signal isn't very great for your uh, current carrier, what you can do is you can buy another and get another plan or a very, very cheap prepaid plan or something where you like, you just pay like 20 bucks to get some time and you get a second SIM card. You pop that SIM card in there and uh, the way Android handles it and the hardware handles it, it handles everything in the background for you. You don't have to know anything. You don't have to do anything. It automatically switched to between networks based on uh, the preferred thing. So if you're in your normal carrier's network, you can also manually switch. You can go into the settings and do that. Um, but if you run, like if you're on your standard carrier and then you run out of uh, like signal, you don't have signal anymore. It'll switch over to that other set. 
or if you're going internet roaming internationally and you go overseas to like Europe or something or China and you don't have signal because AT&T or Verizon or whatever doesn't have signal there, which a lot of U.S. carriers charge a ton extra for international roaming. You can get uh, one of the carriers that are over there or a carrier that supports international roaming or something like that and very, very cheap usually. Throw the other SIM card in there and you're good to go. You can make phone calls and stuff like that. The only thing I don't know is how it handles the phone number because I'm pretty sure you might actually have to register a second phone number to the phone. Um, the One of those um, flip phones many years ago, I can't remember. I don't remember which one I found reviews for online. It was a really old phone that did both uh, GSM and CDMA. You would have to, I think it would be two different phone numbers is how it would, how it would work. But, um, so theoretically, somebody could have something that bounces off of both AT&T's towers and Verizon's for basically maximum coverage throughout the country. Yep. And even even overlapping both maps, um, you'll probably still have some pockets of dead zones there too. So. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be some spots, especially if you head out west uh, in terms of United States, if you get out west, um, a lot of carriers just lose coverage. Some may say they won't, but they will. <laughs> just because it's in the middle of nowhere, it's part of, part, part of it's the desert over there past the Rockies. Right. Uh, I think Wyoming, Montana, those are the type of areas that you're going to lose a lot of your coverage anyway. Uh, some parts of Arizona, Nevada, Colorado, um, in New Mexico, Texas, you shouldn't have a problem. Uh, Mexico, actual Mexico, if you go south, you might lose it. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, so, but and sounds like you your your phone is something I'll definitely be considering getting. Should I get another phone? I'll have to stick with what I have for now. Of course, now they. Now the one I have, they dropped the price of recently. So I'm like, oh, of course you did. Which is telling me that they're getting ready to have new offerings down the road. So they have to find a way to price and sell it to make room for it. So... um, how hard are you going to push this phone? No, no, probably not too too hard. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm going to try and take care of it. I haven't ordered a case for it yet, but I will. It hasn't been screwed. The screen, the screen is a Gorilla Glass 3, so it's really, really durable. Um, even though Gorilla Glass, Gorilla Glass 4 is out now, Asus decided to go with Gorilla Glass 3 to save uh, on cost. Because it is more expensive. It is the newer design, the newer, um, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's not glass and it's not plastic. Um, it's some crazy thing that they've really done with it. It's probably like some sort of polyurethane glass mixture or something. So it's not going to shatter as easily? No, not as easily. Now, someone did a drop test with this phone 
And if it lands on one of the corners, it probably will shatter. And it did shatter when he dropped it. And he said he dropped it just straight, uh, like an accidental drop test, and just dropped it straight on some concrete. And the screen was gone from that point on. The screen functioned, but there was spider cracks all over the place. Wow. With my luck, I would probably not have a screen on something like that. Um, the S2 that I had, um, face first right to the floor and it was done. (laughs) So, um, if I ever want to use it again, I would have to have a new screen installed and I'm like, it's not worth it. (laughs) But, um, now that you have a new phone and, and all of that, um, and that, and that's, and I, I'm seeing more low-powered devices coming out, including phones like yours, um, ones I have, and things of that nature. Because uh, you know, thanks to the Raspberry Pi and other devices like it, you now are having, uh, you know, this whole Internet of Things that Microsoft Canonical is involved in. Um, cause I, I remember reading about the Chrome bit, um, Intel has their compute stick and you can plug it into an HDMI monitor or even a TV and you have a fully functioning system right off the bat with, with keyboard and mouse, of course. Um, and and now now you'll have the possibility of a computer in every home that's taken up less space. Because um, I, I first remember seeing low powered stuff around start really taking off when when there was this the resurgence of the green movement in two thousand eight, and it was pretty practical at the time because there was that whole you know there was the whole uh, bailouts for you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, et cetera, et cetera. And people were about saving as much money as possible. And, you know, that's when, you know, Intel Adam really started taking off too during that time, because people were like, well, I need a computer to get my work done, but I don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of dollars on it. And that's when I started noticing it taking off, and then it kind of receded for a little bit. And now, now these things are getting really popular again because it's getting cheaper to make now. Um, I think there's even a nine dollar thing that some people are trying to been trying to crowdfund too. Um, I didn't did you notice that? I can't remember what it was called. I think it's called Chip. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, and it has very very similar um, hardware uh, in comparison to the Raspberry Pi. It's cheaper. Um, it's not quite as powerful, I don't think. No, or it may be a little more powerful than the original Raspberry Pi. I don't remember. I think but- we talked about it briefly in one podcast. But um, but 
but now even even Apple's gotten in on the action too. You were telling me about the M core processor going from four watts to a mere to a uh, um, to a budget breaking six watts at their highest speed. The only the only thing okay, well the Intel Core M processor came out I think um, mid to late last year. And the positioning for the processor, the tray like Intel says sells their processors as tray units to buy them. It it says that on the price on the on their site, the what is it? Uh, something uh, arc, I think it is knowledge, some kind of knowledge center or whatever, where you can go and research about Intel products. And on there, it does have like a trade price for like uh, laptop processors, desktop processors, and uh, processors such as the Intel Core M. Some of them don't show, uh, or Intel doesn't show some of the prices for some of them because they're SOCs or system on a chip. Um, but in the case of the Intel Core M, Apple decided to redesign what is their MacBook Air line. Uh, they still have the MacBook Air, but they've taken that same concept of having a very light, portable, powerful computer and tried to push the, the boundary of that even farther, which other manufacturers have done that before them. Lenovo was one of the first to come out with an Intel Core M processor-based laptop, but Apple decided, let's do something crazy, and it's a little crazy. Um, now, the, the base model is like $1,300, so, I mean, it's, it's not a cheap device, but is it low power? Yes. The, the processor only operates on 4.5 watts on its stock speed. And the only reason it jumps up to 6, which is still very, very small, the, the Raspberry Pi runs on uh, 2 to 5 watts. I don't remember exactly how much. I think probably closer to the 2. But the, the performance of this device is ridiculous for how much power usage. The only problem is that since it, it for it to turbo core, it has to jump from that 4.5 watts to that 6 watts. The voltage change actually dimish, diminishes a lot of the capability of the battery saving and power saving of that processor, especially when used in long terms of time in uh, very high intensive CPU tasks. If it's meant for just like you just use it for like web browsing, some uh, like document editing, some simple things like that, not like uh, Photoshop video encoding. Um, if you're just watching videos, it's not too bad. But uh, then you can make the, the battery last up to 10, 12 hours, just about as long as the MacBook Air. But it uses actually less power than the MacBook Air does. It's just the batteries don't have as quite, quite the capacity of the MacBook Air. So, um, so now they're they're cramming more capabilities in something that's more lower powered. Um, the, the compute stick, not that you would be able to do much in this uh, arena, but for whatever reason, um, it the processor, the Atom processor supports. Um, Intel virtualization technology for whatever reason. Um, and, and it has, it does 
And the uh, 2GIG model, which comes with Windows 8.1 with Bing 32-bit, does support, you know, um, micro SDX version 3, um, based uh, storage cards. So that would be where you would get your... um, your um, virtualization storage for virtual machines as is, but um, (laughs) I'm like, but that, that is kind of, kind of interesting and scary at the same time. So, um, I'm thoroughly impressed with that, but um, with with, uh, all of these things that have come out, um, Microsoft is getting in on the act even um, with their Windows 10 edition for Internet of Things, which you don't really have a desktop at all or any interface. You just have you just have something that pops up an IP address for the device on the Pi 2, and you connect to it through Visual Studio on another machine and start writing basic apps for it is from what I've seen. And then there's Ubuntu snappy core, which, which they've basically, um, it's either for cloud platforms, um, arm based platforms like, um, raspberry Pi, which is Pi two, BeagleBone, they have one for BeagleBone as well. BeagleBone Black. So, and I think their their snappy core is basically they keep they keep the whole enchilada like the OS application files distinct you know, as distinct read-only images, sort of like containers of sorts on some distros where they're designed to run as, you know, virtualized in a virtual server. So you, so there would be probably a snappy core image for a WordPress site if you wanted to pop that up or for special case usage. So that's, that's, that's kind of interesting and and honestly because of all of that too i've been thinking of getting back into programming and we were kind of talking about that um the best one for beginners cuz i i've i've written software before but it's been a long time since i've done that um and i think python's good for beginners Oh yeah, it's one of the best ones for beginners. Honestly, I would, I wouldn't try Java again. <laughs> no. So uh, for me, Java is just like a second nature. Kind of, um, I've I've just I've done so much stuff in Java from what I did in the school and just some stuff that I'm messing with on the side by myself. But um, from from a from a developer standpoint. Uh, when I taught myself what I could of Python, I granted I'm not I'm not excellent in Python, 
by any means. If, if there's an actual Python developer somewhere out there listening to this or eventually will listen to this, I guarantee you you're 10 times better than me. But um, Python is a very, very easy language to learn. And it's due to some of the design choices that the, the designers uh, made when making Python. Um, Python, you can, when you download and install the program, sometimes you have to configure it a little bit differently than you would on like uh, Mac OS X or Linux. On Windows, you have to kind of tweak it sometimes. But it comes with what uh, Python Foundation calls uh, IDLE. It's all caps. It's an integrated development environment kind of thing. It's kind of like an IDE, but not strictly for Python. It's a command line interface. You type in your commands like uh, uh, anything that's syntactically correct for Python. You can write a program in the command line. It's, it's very powerful. It supports a lot of the same functions that are, uh, come in the standard C libraries. It's, very, it's fast for being the type of language that it is. And I'm going to touch a little bit on like the design of it and stuff like that. Um, uh, for those of you that don't know, um, there's two different types of programming languages, primarily. There's, there's a couple others, too, as well. There are interpreted language, interpreted languages, and uh, compiled languages. And then so, uh, Python is an interpreted language. It can be compiled, but it's still interpreted in some way. In other words, interpreted languages you write the code, and then that code gets interpreted by a virtual machine. Uh, Java is similar, but it's it's what's called a hybrid language. It's half compiled and half interpreted, so I won't confuse you with that. But um, Python is purely interpreted um, by default, and uh, it's also a uh, hold on dynamically typed language. Now, with Java or C or C plus plus. Uh, visual, uh, not visual, but uh, well, actually visual basic may be among those as well. But all of those languages are statically typed, meaning that if you create a variable, uh, programming is all about like variables and manipulating these variables to do a specific task. And that's called an algorithm. <laughs> um, but if you create a variable in like Java or C, that variable is a specific type. So like those of you that are familiar with mathematics or some simple mathematics, um, an integer is a whole number, but it can also be a negative number. So like negative one, two, three, four, whatever. Zero is also an integer. Those are all integers. You create a variable that is an ind- of the integer type, which is a data type. It can only be that type. You can't say it's 1.0. You try to do that, and then if you compile it or something, it's going to complain at you saying, no, you can't do that. It's not that type. In Python, it'll let you do whatever you want. <laughs> you can create a variable right off the bat that's an array, which is just a list of items. It's called lists in Python. Um, or you can go back later and say, I want this variable to be a variable to be an integer. It'll let you do it. If you want it to be a double, it'll do it. You want it to just be a generic object, it'll do it. It'll do anything. That's the power of a dynamically typed language. But the drawback is that it's slower. But for someone who is just getting into programming, just learning programming, learning the basics of programming, uh, different types of data structures, um, uh, iterators, uh, all kinds of different, uh, what a variable is, if you, if, even if you don't know what that is, um, 
different ways of doing things. It's a great, great language to just jump in and start learning. And for me, coming with a background of already understanding the basics of programming and then object-oriented basics, I jump into it. It was really easy, but I always confuse myself. I try to type like uh, a semicolon at the end of the line to terminate the statement because I'm used to Java and C and stuff. And no, it doesn't work that way. It'll whine at you. So, like, because like initially, I oh man, my foot itches. But um, I was looking at. Like, say, one of the utilities I use to kind of level out audio for multiple microphones. And their Ubuntu port they used, um, they used Python, except uh, it, it's old and out of date. And and fortunately, I can run Left Later on Wine, and it's fine. But um, but they they used Python to originally port the thing. Um, it's unmaintained out of date now, but um, other other cool software projects have used it too, Python too. So now the one website that I have up on this other screen, which it's kind of blurry from the camera, says learn Python the hard way. And the author believes in repetition, typing things out and that sort of thing. And, uh, you you indicated a disagreement with their methodology to an extent. Uh, to an extent, yes. Um, learning something the hard way. Well, what he said was, if I'm not mistaken, he he put on a site somewhere saying, um, "Learning Python the hard way is actually the easy way," which is not correct. Learning any programming language the easy way is the easy way. But the, the drawback of that is that do you get anything out of learning? Do you actually learn something? Sometimes no. It depends on the person. It depends on uh, the methodology. And his methodology, based on what, what you just said a little bit ago, is great. That's actually a wonderful way to learn programming, especially the repetition. Repetition and constantly doing the same thing or not specifically the same thing, but performing a similar thing to achieve a different result. Like you say, you want to try and write a program that will compute a specific sequence, or like the Fibonacci sequence. That's a really, really fun thing to do. I mess with it when I'm bored. <laughs> I do that like in all kinds of different languages and stuff. It's a great way to learn the basics of the language, learn how the mathematical functions are performed, um, uh, and, and also uh, one way of learning uh, using that to learn something is to learn uh, recursion, which is a programming concept where it gets a little funky. I won't get into it. <laughs> but uh, learning something the hard way will benefit you in the long run. It will help you understand the concepts and help you remember it later on, like say you, you do something and then you forget how to do it. Oh, like, I don't know how to do this specific thing. Sometimes that's going to happen. I mean, it happens with me. I'm a software developer. I don't remember like a very, very specific, simple thing just because I remember the high level concept, but not the specific, like one or two lines of code to do this. Like what, what does it look like? Oh yeah. <laughs> None of them done. <laughs> but it's, it's a very, very good way of learning. Um and, uh, and and I'm curious. I, I 
because like I I think I still have a Visual Basic six book on how to learn Visual Basic and so much time or whatever. And the 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 author blathered on and on about things that were unrelated, but one of the things that they came out against was the Hello World program. Going, you really don't learn anything doing that, blah, 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 blah. It is is our Hello World tutorials useful, not so useful in between? It just, oh, once again, it's kind of an in-between thing. Um, from my perspective, I do see it as useful. And uh, I want to be a teacher, so like, I would use that to my advantage. And the, the, where I see that it's useful is like the first day. You walk into your programming class and you have no clue what programming is like. For me, I've always been interested in computers. On the introductory show where I came in, like, what was that, three years ago? Right. I talked about my background, like my first computer and stuff like that that I had when I was like eight. I talked about how I got into programming, how I got into computers, how I got into Linux. Um, and for me, when I first walked into my, one of my first programming classes, or actually even when my roommate and introduced me to programming, I thought it was some kind of crazy wizardry, like, oh my God, it's so weird. How does this actually happen? It's a lot easier than you think once you get through some of the steps. Like, it's hard. There's some spots that are hard. I still have some difficulty with some of the math behind it, but um, it's easy once you get through. I mean, it was for me, but what was I doing with that? Like, like, um, the... Hello, hello world. Um, for me, the reason why I do think that it's beneficial is you can use that. Say you got a projector, you walk into your class the first day. And that's what I was. That's where I started with that, and I got off on a tangent. You get in there, you have that hello world program up on the monitor. Like if it's in Java or Python, or whatever. Actually, Python is one line of code. <laughs> it's pretty nice. It's one of the other features about Python that make it excellent. Um, uh, but in Java, you would have to have a minimum of like five to seven lines of code, I think. Um, what it's very useful for, and especially even in Python, you can do the object-oriented way of writing a program. You can step through the code with the students or with someone that's learning. And even on, if it's an online tutorial, they will say like, okay, they'll break it apart line by line piece by piece, word by word, explaining what each thing does, what each thing is for, what it um, what it helps with, how it functions in the language, and stuff like that. For like, for example, um, in Java, uh, for your Hello World program, the only line of code that actually does something that's a statement, which is any line of code is usually a statement, um, what it actually does, the, the hello world line, it says system.out.println, and then in, in quotations and parentheses, hello world, and parentheses and semicolon. Uh, that line of code is the one that actually does something. Everything else is structured in a specific way, that way the Java virtual machine and the way that the language is written can understand it. And hello world is just one of the best ways to just kind of break it apart and say this is each part and what it does. And then from there, you can build upon what you've already talked about 
with other assignments or like online tutorials, they go on further that will go back and say, Hey, you remember this in the hello world? Well, here it is again. Certain things will always show up. Like for Java, if you want to print something out to the console, that line will always show up. It'll always be system.out.print something. <laughs> so it's, it's very useful for just starting off. I disagree with saying that it's not worth anything because if you throw a giant piece of code at someone, like for me, when I'm at work, <laughs> even today, I was looking through just a text file with some uh, crap data that I was using, had 9,000 lines of text. 9,000 lines of text. I look through files, I look through JavaScript files and Java files that have anywhere between 50 lines of code to all the way like, what, out of 40, or I mean 4,000 lines of code. And that's just one file. And usually that one file is calling like one or two other th- files that are also between three to 4,000 lines of code. My goodness. Um, I, it's really big. I mean, I, 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 I see the Hello World tutorial as a way of introducing somebody to the tools that they're about to use. This is, this is what happens when you run a program and illustrating what happens, as you've said, but this is how you run the program through the environment or compile or what have you. This is how this part of the tool works and basically be like, this is what you're going to be doing a lot of when you test your stuff out, try to run it. Those are the same things you go through time in and time out. Um, everything else. So I know there, I know it's been a mixed bag of sorts. Um, probably later this evening, I'm going to be setting this thing up and trying to get, uh, after some Chinese food with a friend, of course, and, and see what I can do with this thing. Um, only thing I need is a powered USB hub for more storage options and what have you. But, um, I, now that I have some more time, I'll definitely be doing that. Um, and I'll definitely be looking at Python because, well, um, it's cross platform and, it's not Visual Basic. <laughs> I think you actually can develop Visual Basic through Mono on other platforms, but you don't. Need, I don't think you, you even need Mono anymore because the .NET platform is cross-platform, right? But it's but I wouldn't be able to use every single aspect of it because you know no Windows forms and that sort of thing. So you would have to become familiar with other interface APIs anyhow. So it's just like, well, might as well go with something that can touch everything at once and be done with it. Um, but yeah. Um, I, I think I'll definitely look at Python and see what I can do with it. Um, are you thinking about developing any apps again on Android like you did in your classes. I'm working on one actually right now for a friend of mine. So it's just a slow progress. Um, it's just when I have free time and uh, 
it's, it's pretty much just a little dice rolling app. So it's, it's kind of something that uh, it was something that used to be on the market, a specific uh, app that had some features that you usually don't find in any other app. So I'm trying to kind of reverse engineer it based on based on what it looked like in his description. So I'm going to slowly work on it. And it's it's a fairly simple concept. It's just going to take some time to get it done and built. So I've worked on the interface a little bit so far, but I haven't written any actual code. Um, is 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 it twenty? Are twenty sides involved in this, or? Uh, I think I'm going to set it up to where can, you can choose how many sides. So I'll have like a drop down list where it'll, you'll select like a D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, and a D20. And uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the D20 system or uh, dice like that, it's usually commonly found in like tabletop RPGs like Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons. I used right. To play that. So, uh, they also sometimes will have a. 100 sided die, which is usually like that big. It's huge and it takes forever to roll the damn thing. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to set it up to where they'll be able to, you can pick whatever side of die. Now that, that's just a little tweak that I'd have to do uh, mathematically. It'll be fairly easy. Well, that, well man, that is, sounds pretty, pretty awesome. And I think, I think we kind of segued into a potential future ep- episode talking about, you know, just going through Python and other things and, and saying, Hey, this is what you can do with it. Um, it may involve, uh, uh, um, explicitly inappropriate language for me because that's, that's part of the reason I walked away from it because I, I got tired of having headaches after, after that. Then again, um, I was trying to write Java programs and that, was not going so well. <laughs> I passed the class. I don't know how I did it. And I'm like, I need to do something else. Um, oh. So, um, definitely, definitely get this set up by next episode and show it running going, Hey, this, this is pretty cool. Um, so tonight, the tonight, well, obviously, we're recording this. 82 will be available tonight on the podcast feed later in the evening. I just got to get everything uh, situated on that. And um, next week, hopefully, we'll have something very, very interesting in that regards following up on this, um, especially since Summer of Code is coming up for Google as well. Am I right? I believe so. Yeah. Also, uh, Apple's uh, Worldwide Developers Conference is going to be coming up soon, I think, this next week, this weekend. Um, E3 is also this coming weekend. Oh, big yeah. Thing. That's our last podcast. We mentioned Bethesda going to E3 and then the big Fallout 4 reveal, which I watched the trailer a total of like 10 times now. <laughs> Super exciting. Oh, yeah. So, that's so. Lots of stuff to look forward to um, next week. So um, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. Um, I'm Thomas. And I'm Shaggy.